For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. The former verse contains an apology for the plain and familiar manner of the apostles' preaching, which was not, as he here tells them, with excellency of speech or wisdom. He studied not to gratify their curiosity with rhetorical strains and philosophical niceties. In this he gives the reason, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. I determined not to know. The meaning is not that he simply despised or condemned all other studies and knowledge, but so far only as they stand in competition with or opposition to the study and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it is as if he should say, It is my stated settled judgment, not a hasty, inconsiderate censure, but the product and issue of my most serious and exquisite inquiries. After I have well weighed the case, turned it round, viewed it exactly on every side, balanced all advantages and disadvantages, pondered all things that are fit to come into consideration about it. This is the result and final determination, that all of the knowledge, how profitable, how pleasant soever, it is not worthy to be named in the same day with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This, therefore, I resolve to make the scope and end of my ministry, and the end regulates the mean. Such pedantic toys and airy notions as injudicious ears affect would rather obstruct than promote my grand design among you. Therefore, wholly waving that way, I applied myself to a plain, popular, unaffected dialect, fitted rather to pierce the heart and convince the conscience than to tickle the fancy. This is the scope of the words in which three things fall under consideration. First, the subject matter of his doctrine, to wit, Jesus Christ. I determined to know nothing, that is, to study nothing myself, to teach nothing to you, but Jesus Christ. Christ shall be the center to which all the lines of my ministry shall be drawn. I have spoken and written of many other subjects in my sermons and epistles, but it is all reductively the preaching and discovery of Jesus Christ. Of all the subjects in the world, this is the sweetest. If there be anything on this side of heaven worthy our time and studies, this is it. Thus he magnifies his doctrine from the excellency of its subject matter, accounting all of the doctrines but airy things compared with this. Secondly, we have here that special respect or consideration of Christ, which he singled out from all the rest of the excellent truths of Christ, to spend the main strength of his ministry upon, and that is, Christ as crucified, and the rather, because hereby he would obviate the vulgar prejudice raised against him upon the account of his cross. For Christ crucified was to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. Chapter 1, verse 23. This also best suited his end, to draw them on to Christ, as Christ above all other subjects, so Christ crucified above all other things in Christ. There is therefore a great emphasis in this word, and him crucified. Thirdly, the manner in which he discoursed this transcendent subject to them is also remarkable. He not only preached Christ crucified, but he preached him assiduously and plainly. He preached Christ frequently, and whenever he preached of Christ crucified, he preached him in a crucified style. 
This is the sum of the words to let them know that his spirit was intent upon the subject, as if he neither knew nor cared to speak of any other. All his sermons were so full of Christ that his hearers might have thought he was acquainted with no other doctrine. Hence, observe, doctrine, that there is no doctrine more excellent in itself or more necessary to be preached and studied than the doctrine of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All other knowledge, how much soever it be magnified in this world, is and ought to be esteemed but dross in comparison of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Eudoxus was so affected with the glory of the Son that he thought he was born only to behold it. Much more should a Christian judge himself born only to behold and delight in the glory of the Lord Jesus. The truth of this proposition will be made out by a double consideration of the doctrine of Christ. First, let it be considered absolutely, and then these lovely properties with which it is naturally clothed will render it superior to all other sciences and studies. First, the knowledge of Jesus Christ is the very marrow and kernel of all the scriptures, the scope and center of all divine revelations. Both testaments meet in Christ. The ceremonial law is full of Christ, and all the gospel is full of Christ. The blessed lines of both testaments meet in Him, and how they both harmonize and sweetly center in Jesus Christ is the chief scope of that excellent epistle to the Hebrews. To discover, for we may call that epistle the sweet harmony of both testaments. This argues the unspeakable excellency of this doctrine. The knowledge whereof must needs therefore be a key to unlock the greatest part of the sacred scriptures. For it is in the understanding of scripture, much as it is in the knowledge men have in logic and philosophy. If a scholar once come to understand the bottom principle upon which, as upon its hinge, the controversy turns, the knowledge of that principle shall carry him through the whole controversy and furnish him with a solution to every argument. Even so, the right knowledge of Jesus Christ, like a clue, leads you through the whole labyrinth of the Scriptures. Secondly, the knowledge of Jesus Christ is a fundamental knowledge, and foundations are most useful, though least seen. The knowledge of Christ is fundamental to all graces, duties, comforts, and happiness. Number one, it is fundamental to all graces. They all begin in knowledge. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. The new man is renewed in knowledge. As the old, so the new creation begins in light. The opening of the eyes is the first work of the Spirit. And as the beginnings of grace, so all the after-improvements thereof depend upon this increase of knowledge. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. See how these two, grace and knowledge, keep equal pace in the soul of a Christian. In what degree the one increases, the other increases answerably. 2. The knowledge of Christ is fundamental to all duties. The duties, as well as the graces of all Christians, are all founded in the knowledge of Christ. Must a Christian believe? That he can never do without the knowledge of Christ. Faith is so much dependent on his knowledge that it is denominated by it. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, 
And hence, John chapter 6, verse 40, seeing and believing are made the same thing. Would a man exercise hope in God? That he can never do without the knowledge of Christ, for he is the author of that hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He is also its object. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Its groundwork and support. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And as you cannot believe or hope, so neither can you pray acceptably without a competent degree of this knowledge. The very heathen could say, Men must not speak of God without light. The true way of conversing with and enjoying God in prayer is by acting faith on Him through a mediator. So much comfort and true excellency there is in it, and no more. Oh, then, how indispensable is the knowledge of Christ to all that do address themselves to God in any duty. Number three, it is fundamental to all comforts. All the comforts of believers are streams from this fountain. Jesus Christ is the very object matter of a believer's joy. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Our rejoicing is in Christ Jesus. Take away the knowledge of Christ, and a Christian is the most sad and melancholy creature in the world. Again, let Christ but manifest Himself and dart the beams of His light into their souls. It will make them kiss the stakes, sing in flames, and shout in the pangs of death as men that divide the spoil. Lastly, the knowledge is fundamental to the eternal happiness of souls. As we can perform no duty, enjoy no comfort, so neither can we be saved without it. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And if it be life eternal to know Christ, then it is eternal damnation to be ignorant of Christ. As Christ is the door that opens heaven, so knowledge is the key that opens Christ. The excellent gifts and renowned parts of the moral heathens, though they purchased to them great esteem and honor among them, yet left them in a state of perdition. Because of this great defect, they were ignorant of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Thus, you see how fundamental the knowledge of Christ is, essentially necessary to all the graces, duties, comforts, and happiness of souls. Thirdly, the knowledge of Christ is profound and large. All other sciences are but shadows. This is a boundless, bottomless ocean. No creature has a line long enough to fathom the depth of it. There is a height, length, depth, and breadth ascribed to it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. Yes, it passes knowledge. There is a manifold wisdom of God in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It is of many sorts and forms of many folds and plates. It is indeed simple, pure, and unmixed with anything but itself. Yet it is manifold in degrees, kinds, and administrations. Though something of Christ be unfolded in one age, and something in another, yet eternity itself cannot fully unfold him. I see something, said Luther, which blessed Austin saw not, and those that come after me will see that which I see not. It is in the studying of Christ as in the planting of a new discovered country. At first men sit down by the seaside, upon the skirts and the borders of the land, and there they dwell. But by degrees they search farther and farther into the heart of the country. Ah, the best of us are yet but upon the borders of this vast continent. Fourthly, 
The study of Jesus Christ is the most noble subject that ever a soul spent itself upon. Those that rack and torture their brains upon other studies, like children, weary themselves at a low game. The eagle plays at the sun itself. The angels study this doctrine and stoop down to look into this deep abyss. What are the truths discovered in Christ but the very secrets that from eternity lay hidden in the bosom of God? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. God's heart is open to men in Christ. John chapter 1, verse 18. This makes the gospel such a glorious dispensation because Christ is so gloriously revealed therein. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And the studying of Christ in the gospel stamps such a heavenly glory upon the contemplating soul. Verse 18. Fifthly, it is the most sweet and comfortable knowledge to be studying Jesus Christ. What is it? but to be digging among all the veins and springs of comfort. And the deeper you dig, the more do these springs flow upon you. How are hearts ravished with the discoveries of Christ in the gospel? What ecstasies, meltings, transports do gracious souls meet there? Doubtless, Philip's ecstasy, John chapter 1, verse 25, we have found Jesus, was far beyond that of Archimedes. A believer could sit from the morning to the night, and hear discourses on Christ. His mouth is most sweet. Canticles chapter 5, verse 16. Secondly, let us compare the knowledge with all other knowledge, and thereby the excellency of it will farther appear. Number one, all other knowledge is natural, but this wholly supernatural. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. No man knows the Son, but the Father. Neither knows any the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The wisest heathens could never make a discovery of Christ by their deepest searches into the nature. The most eagle-eyed philosophers were but children in knowledge compared with the most illiterate Christians. Number two, other knowledge is unattainable by many. All the helps and means in the world would never enable some Christians to attain the learned arts and languages. Men of the best wits and most pregnant parts are most excellent in these. But here is the mystery and excellency of the knowledge of Christ, that men of most blunt, dull, and contemptible parts attain through the teaching of the Spirit to this knowledge in which the more acute and ingenious are utterly blind. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent, and have revealed them unto babes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Number three, other knowledge, though you should attain the highest degree of it, would never bring you to heaven. Being defective and lame both in integrity of parts, the principal thing, Christ being wanting, and in the purity of its nature, for the knowing heathens grew vain in their imaginations. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. And the efficacy and influence of it on the heart and life. They held the truth in unrighteousness. Their lusts were stronger than their light. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. But this knowledge has potent influences, changing souls into its own image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 
and so proves a saving knowledge unto men. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And thus I have in a few particulars pointed out the transcendence of the knowledge of Christ. The use of all this I shall give you in a few inferences, on which I shall not enlarge the whole being only preliminary to the doctrine of Christ, only for the present I shall hence infer. Inference number one. The sufficiency of the doctrine of Christ to make men wise into salvation. Paul desired to know nothing else, and indeed nothing else is of absolute necessity to be known. A little of this knowledge, if saving and effectual upon your heart, will do your soul more service than all the vain speculation and profound parts that others so much glory in. Poor Christian, be not dejected because you see yourself outstripped and excelled by so many in other parts of knowledge. If you know Jesus Christ, you have enough to comfort and save your soul. Many learned philosophers are now in hell, and many illiterate Christians in heaven. Inference number two. If there be such excellency in the knowledge of Christ, let it humble all, both saints and sinners, that we have no more of this clear and effectual knowledge in us, notwithstanding the excellent advantages we have had from it. Sinners concerning you, I may sigh and say with the Apostle, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, Some have not the knowledge of Christ. I speak this to your shame. This, oh this, is the condemnation. And even for you that are enlightened in this knowledge, how little do you know of Jesus Christ in comparison of what you might have known of Him? What a shame it is that you should need to be taught the very first truths when, for the time, you might have been teachers of others, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and 14, that your ministers cannot speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Oh, how much time is spent in other studies, in vain discourses, frivolous pamphlets, worldly employments. How little is the search and study of Jesus Christ. Inference number three, how sad is their condition that have a knowledge of Christ, and yet, as to themselves, it had been better that they had never had it. Many there be that content themselves with an unpractical, ineffectual, and merely notional knowledge of him, of whom the apostle says, it had been better for them that they had not have known. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It serves only to aggravate sin and misery. For though it be not enough to save them, yet it puts some weak restraints upon sin, which their impetus lust, breaking down, exposes them thereby to a greater damnation. Inference number four. Fourthly, this may inform us by what rule to judge both ministers and doctrine. Certainly, that is the highest commendation of a minister, to be an able minister of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6, he is the best artist that can most lively and powerfully display Jesus Christ before the people, evidently setting him forth as crucified among them. And that is the best sermon that is most full of Christ, not of R and language. I know that a holy dialect well becomes Christ's ministers. They should not be crude and careless in language or method, but surely the excellency of the sermon lies not in that but in the plainest discoveries and the liveliest applications of Jesus Christ. Inference number five. 
Let all that mind the honor of religion or the peace and comfort of their own souls wholly sequester and apply themselves to the study of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Therefore, we spend ourselves upon other studies when all excellency, sweetness, and desirableness is concentrated in this one. Jesus Christ is fairer than the children of men, the chief among ten thousands, as the apple tree among the trees of the woods. These things which stingingly ravish and delight the souls of men are all found conjunctly in Christ. Oh, what a blessed Christ is this, whom to know is eternal life. From the knowledge of Jesus Christ do bud forth all the fruits of comfort, and that for all seasons and conditions. Hence Revelation 22, verse 2, He is called the tree of life, which bears twelve manner of fruits, and yields its fruit every month. And the very leaves of this tree are for healing, In Christ, souls have, number one, all necessaries for food and physique. Number two, all varieties of fruits, twelve manner of fruits, a distinct sweetness in this, in that, and in the other attribute, promise, ordinance. Number three, in Him are these fruits at all times. He bears fruit every month. There is precious fruit in Jesus Christ, even in the black month, winter fruits as well as summer fruits. Oh, then study Christ, study to know Him more extensively. There be many excellent things in Christ that the most eagle-eyed believer has not yet seen. Ah, tis pity that anything of Christ should lie hid from His people. Study to know Christ more intensively, to get the experimental taste and lively power of His knowledge upon your hearts and affections. This is the knowledge that carries all the sweetness and comfort in it. Christian, I dare to appeal to your experience, whether the experimental taste of Christ in ordinances and duties has not a higher and sweeter relish than any created enjoyment you ever tasted in the world. Oh, then separate, devote, and wholly give yourself your time, your strength to this most sweet transcendent study. Inference number six. Lastly, let me close the whole with a double caution. One to ourselves who by our callings and professions are the ministers of Christ, another to those that sit under the doctrine of Christ daily. First, if this doctrine be the most excellent, necessary, fundamental, profound, noble, and comfortable doctrine, let us then take heed, lest while we study to be exact in other things, we be found ignorant in this. You know it is ignominious by the common suffrage of the civilized world for any man to be unacquainted with his own calling, or not to attend the proper business of it. It is our calling as the bridegroom's friends to woo and win souls to Christ, to set him forth to the people as crucified among them, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, to present him in all his attractive excellencies, that all hearts may be ravished with his beauty and charmed into his arms by love. We must also be able to defend the truths of Christ against undermining heretics, to instill his knowledge into the ignorant, to answer the cases and scruples of poor doubting Christians. How many intricate knots have we to untie? What pains, what skill is requisite for such as are employed at our work? And shall we spend our precious time in frivolous controversies, philosophical niceties, dry and barren scholastic notions, 
Shall we study everything but Christ? Revolve all volumes but the sacred one? What is observed even in Bellarmine, that he turned with loathing from school of divinity because it wanted the sweet juice of piety, may be convictive to many among us, who are often too much in love with worse employments than what he is said to loathe. Oh, let the knowledge of Christ dwell richly in us. Secondly, let us see that our knowledge of Christ be not a powerless, barren, unpractical knowledge. Oh, that in its passage from our understanding to our lips, it might powerfully melt, sweeten, and ravish our own hearts. Remember, brethren, a holy calling never saved any man without a holy heart. If our tongues only be sanctified, our whole man must be damned. We and our people must be judged by the same gospel and stand at the same bar and be sentenced to the same terms and dealt with as severely as any other men. We cannot think to be saved by our clergy. As an eminent divine speaks, O let the keepers of the vineyard look to and keep their own vineyard. We have a heaven to win or lose as well as others. Thirdly, let us take heed that we withhold not our knowledge of Christ in unrighteousness from the people. Oh, that our lips may disperse knowledge and feed many. Let us take heed to the napkin, remembering the day of account is at hand. Remember, I beseech you, the relations wherein you stand and the obligations resulting thence. Remember the great shepherd gave himself for and gave you to the flock, your time, your gifts. You are not your own, but God's. Remember the pinching wants of souls who are perishing for want of Christ. And if their tongues do not, yet their necessities do bespeak us as they did Joseph in Genesis chapter 47, verse 15. Therefore, should we die in your presence? Give us food that we may live and not die. Even the sea monsters draw forth their breast to their young ones. And shall we be cruel? Cruel to souls? Did Christ not think it too much to sweat blood, yes, to die for them? And shall we think it too much to watch, study, preach, pray, and do what we can for their salvation? Oh, let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ. Secondly, to the people that sit under the doctrine of Christ daily and have the light of his knowledge shining round about them, first take heed that you do not reject and despise this light. This may be done two ways. First, when you despise the means of knowledge by slight and low esteem of it. Surely, if you thus reject knowledge, God will reject you. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It is despising of the richest gift that ever Christ gave to the church. And however it be, contempt and slight that begins low and seems only to vent itself upon the weak parts in artificial discourses and un taking tones and gestures of the speakers. Yet believe it, it is a daring sin that flies higher than you are aware. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. He that despises you despises me, and he that despises me despises him that sent me. Secondly, you despise the knowledge of Christ when you despise the directions and loving constraints of that knowledge. When you refuse to be guided by your knowledge, your light and your lust contest and struggle within you. Oh, it is sad when your lust master your light. You sin, not as the heathens sin, who know not God, 
But when you sin, you must slide and put by the notions of your own consciences and offer violence to your own convictions. And what sad work will this make in your souls? How soon will it lay your consciences waste? Secondly, take heed that you rest not satisfied with that knowledge of Christ you have attained, but grow on towards perfection. It is the pride and ignorance of many professors when they have got a few raw and undigested notions to swell with self-conceit of their excellent attainments. And it is the sin, even of the best saints, when they see how deep the knowledge of Christ lies and what pains they must take to dig for it, to throw by the shovel of duty and cry, Dig we cannot. To your work, Christians, to your work, let not your candle go out. Sequester yourselves to this study. Look what fellowship and correspondence are between the two worlds, what communion soever God and souls maintain. It is in this way. Count all, therefore, but dross in comparison of that excellency which is in the knowledge of Jesus Christ.